Hello, and welcome to Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm your host, Pacifico Soldati. This show explores topics from law and business to consciousness, spirituality, and everything in between. We feature accomplished leaders across many fields to help you get more out of your life. You can learn more and stay up to date at theluepodcast.com. If you're not familiar with my background, I'm a helper, parent, marketer, attorney outlaw, certified mediator, story brand guide, omnist, yoga teacher, and a former paratrooper and award-winning army chef at the 82nd Airborne Division and U.S. Army Special Operations Command. I'm the founder and CEO of the Soldati Group, a marketing agency helping startups, small businesses, and law firms leverage the power of story to grow their businesses. Law, Universe, and Everything is a production of the Soldati Group. All opinions expressed by the hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of the Soldati Group or guest employers. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and these discussions do not constitute legal or investment advice. Today's episode is brought to you by Prosperita, an animated video agency that can help you bring your company's ideas, values, products, and messages to life with the power of engaging videos. Whether you strive to win more customers, engage, or educate your audience, Prosperitas will craft each video specifically targeted to fit your brand and vision. Visit prosperitasagency.com today to learn more. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-S agency.com. Prosperitas, unforgettable videos for unforgettable companies. My guest today is Deborah Driggs. Deborah is a former Playboy cover girl and centerfold and was the first VJ for the Playboy channel's Hot Rocks. In the years since then, she has reinvented herself across a variety of fields, from the spa industry to becoming a real estate agent, then a print industry broker, and finally reaching the top 5% of her field as a life insurance agent, having been in the insurance industry's million-dollar roundtable since 2012. Deborah is a member of the Screen Actors Guild and has been a moderator, coordinator, and fundraiser for Van Jones's prison reform movement, The Redemption Project. She's an advocate for social change through a variety of endeavors, including Our Rescue's Operation Underground Railroad, and also adopted and funded a remote Andean primary school in Peru through the Go campaign. Please join me in welcoming Deborah to the show today. Thanks so much for being here, Deborah. Hey, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. What a great way to start the day today. Awesome. I love the yeah. energy. So you have had quite the storied background, but I'd love to go back to the beginning and what first led you to pursue becoming a Playboy model? It's interesting. People think that's I aspired to do that. And really, I had already been doing modeling and commercials since 1984. I moved up to LA in 1986 and I had already been working and my I was aspiring to be an actress. And in 1989, I got the call that Playboy was coming out with a book called The Lingerie Book and that they wanted to see me for that specifically. And my first question was, well, is there any nudity involved? And my agent said, no, it's for the cover. There might be a little bit. It's, this is for a cover for them. So I went to the famous building on Sunset and went to the audition and they handed me a robe and asked me to take everything off and they were going to do some Polaroids. And I said, no, I'm not here for that. I'm here for the lingerie audition. And they said, well, everything we do involves nudity and we have to see your body. And so immediately I was, you know, thinking, uh, no, this isn't going to be for me. And back in 1989, you have to, also it's, 
you have to remember they were looking for things like tattoos, scars, birthmarks, piercings. It was a different world. So they really did need to look at what they were working with. And so I said, no, everything's good. I'm just going to leave on my undergarments. And so we did a couple of Polaroids and they were looking at me like, okay, whatever. And I left and I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, oh, I'm not going to get that one. And that afternoon I got a call and it was Playboy and they wanted to test me to do a centerfold. And I literally dropped the phone. I just, I couldn't believe it. I said, are you sure you're calling the right person? Because I didn't really think this audition went that well. You know, that's what I was thinking. And so then I called my agent. She's, no, they're serious. They want to test you to be a playmate. And so I went back and forth and I did the test. And then after the test, they wanted to shoot the centerfold. And I, it was like a whirlwind, really. I could just remember being in the studio on one of the days that we were shooting and I literally was gazed over and the photographer, Richard Fegley, he said, are you okay? And I said, I'm in the Playboy studio right now shooting a centerfold. He's yeah, I know. I get it. It's, it's so surreal. It's what am I doing here? And that was all she wrote. My world really changed from that moment on. I all of a sudden was getting called in. Everyone wanted to meet me. Every, even if they didn't really have a project, they just wanted to meet me. I was like, I was, I was going on lots of different meetings, getting introduced to many different people and Playboy Channel approached me to do Hot Rocks, which was a VJ position for <clears throat> a uncensored music video show. And so I was their first VJ. So a lot of things happened really quick for me. But that was how I, that was my entree into Playboy. It was a very random thing. I wasn't anything that I, it was funny too, because I was sitting in the makeup room talking to the makeup artist during my shoot. And she said, Playboy gets over a thousand submissions a day from girls all over the world trying to get into this magazine. So it was really surreal. It was really, it was like, oh my God. I didn't realize what I was doing until I was doing it. Oh, totally. Yeah, that must have been quite the surreal experience. So what was it like working with the, the Playboy <laughs> empire in general? I know a lot of people have some negative connotations or expectations about whether it's like labor standards or how people were treated, but how were you treated? What was that experience like for you? I was treated really well. I was treated just five-star it was the five star, the red carpet. I showed up to the studio. Everything was done. Hair, nails, makeup. They would bring in lunch from La Dome. If I needed something, it was there. Everything was five star, super beautiful. Yeah, I, I my experience was just that. I, everything about it was very done very well. And the people that worked in the studio, there's a lot of people beh behind the scenes, excuse me. <clears throat> and so there's a lot of people behind the scenes that do different things as far as lighting, music, camera setup. And all of those people were a joy to work with, not just the photographer, all the people that were on the set. And they were chosen for a reason because of their attitude and because they took it very seriously. They really wanted to put out a beautiful magazine. Mm, sounds great.
So how did Playboy open doors for you as an actress and, and how did you transition from there, you know, back into the mainstream acting sphere? It opened a lot of doors because <clears throat> all of a sudden everybody wanted to meet me. And I also was on the cover of the magazine in April of 90. And I remember just from that cover, I was, my agent was getting calls left and right. Yeah, we really want to meet her. <clears throat> so yeah, it opened doors and I did my first film in 1990 with Michael Nury. And I, I hate to say it was a small part. It was because it was my first movie and I wasn't the lead, but I had a pretty substantial part. And typical typecast, I, was, I played a model that had a drug problem. So it was funny. That, those are the kind of roles that I was getting uh, called in for. You, It's a business where you do whatever it takes to get in the door. Yeah. And Playboy was a great stepping stone for that. What were some of the challenges that you faced trying to you know, balance life coming out of that as an actress and as a mother of three children? I think one of the challenges is when I did get married and I started to have a family, I couldn't keep up with the auditioning and the hustle of being at an audition and being completely focused. You know, I was a full-time mom. And so in 1998, my career really slowed down. That was the last TV show I did was in 1998, I believe. And then in 2003, I took a job. We moved our kids to Park City, Utah. We wanted them to grow up in a wholesome environment where they could walk to school and take the bus and ride their bikes. And so we moved to a small town and in Park City, Utah, and I ended up hosting the morning show for the local television in that town. And that was actually my one of my favorite jobs. I really enjoyed that. It was a volunteer position. There was no money because it was just, it was a local TV. And so they didn't have a budget to to pay anybody really. And so everything in that studio was volunteer. Everybody was there like an internship to make that station go. So I showed up every morning and did a two hour unscripted morning show. And that literally goes down as one of my favorite jobs. That sounds really fun and rewarding. So yeah. what was it like going from that a certain level of fame with Playboy to then moving to Utah, eventually rebuilding your life as you know, a single mother, navigating multiple career transitions? How did you get through all that? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's a really interesting feeling to be on the top, be the it girl, and then not be that anymore. And it's, wait a second, I was on the cover of Playboy, <laughs> you know, and it just, nobody cares. After a while, nobody cares. So that kind of goes away. And there is something about that. It's got to be, if I were to compare it to anything, it's got to be like winning a gold medal. And then what do you do next? You, you got, I'm not comparing being on the cover of Playboy to winning a gold medal, but the feeling of getting to the top or winning an Academy Award when you wake up the next day and it's now what, you know, with anything in life, getting the best, like I was elected into the million dollar round table. Now what? I think there's always that, okay, now what is my life going to look like now? And yeah, there is a lot of transition from being on the top of your game to then I found myself at 40, broke, three kids, no money. No 
no vision in sight of what I was going to do. I didn't have a plan. And I always thought I would be married and everything was going to be fine. And it wasn't. And so now what, what do you do? How do you pick yourself back up? And I found myself there in 2004 and I did a new, a numerous different little jobs here and there. And then one day I was like, I'm going to get my real estate license. And it, that came about because I had a friend from LA visiting Park City and she wanted to buy a second home. And I thought, why not me? Why not me show her homes? What, why wouldn't I be the person to do that? Because she said, do you know any really good realtors? And I said, let me do some research. So I did some research and I ended up getting my license and I ended up assisting one of the best realtors in Park City. And I did that because I thought I don't have the money to start my own business and I have three kids, so I can't give this my full time. It's like anything. When you start something, it's, it becomes your child. You have to give it a lot of attention. So I thought I'll assist somebody who's the best at what they're doing and learn from them. And that's what I did. I found somebody who was at the top of his game. We met for breakfast and I told him, I said, look, I've never worked in an office my background is in the entertainment world. And after we talked, he looked at me, he said, are you good with people? And I said, I am. I'm really good with people. And he said, well, guess what? You're going to manage all my listings. He had 30 listings at that time. And he was really into the marketing side of it. And he was a, just a genius at what he did. And obviously, and so that's, I chose to work with him. I learned so much. He taught me everything as far as how to do everything in the office work, scanning, attaching documents, these things that I did not know how to do. And then I would go and take care of the clients and sit the open houses and deal with the people. And that was not his favorite part of the job. So I did that. And sometimes I would sit open houses and I'd get to know people and they're like, well, I want you to list my house. I want you to sell my house. And I'd come back to the office with a two, $3 million listing and I'd go ask the girls, how do you use that machine again with the button and you put the paper in and it goes to my email and they're like, the scanner? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and they would help me and, and they would, they'd offer to do it for me. They'd, they'd joke, oh my God, she has a $3 million listing. She doesn't know how to use a scanner. And, and that became a joke in the office. But I said, no, no, I really want you to show me how to do it. I wanted to learn everything from how to use the scanner to how to attached documents to, I wanted to learn everything from the bottom up. I wasn't going to skip over any of those steps. And, and I got really good at all of that. And then in 2008, I had to start over again because the market took a dive. The first market to go was the second home, luxury, multi-million dollar homes. Nobody was interested in a second home in 2008. And so my business just really, it was like a ghost town for a while. There was just nothing happening. And I thought, wow, I can't pay my rent. I can't buy groceries. I have no money because everything, every, all the money I made just was coming in and going out. You know, it was like my kids programs and you know how it is with kids. They always need something. And so I just, there was nothing being saved. It was like, I was just living month to month and I had to make a really hard choice in 2008. I had to switch roles with my husband and have him take the kids. And then I had to go look for work. 
And I remember it was that year really brought me to my knees. I had no nowhere to go really. So I went back and lived with my mother in Ocala, Florida. She was living in a 55 and over community. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was really scared. You know, I was really in a fear, in massive fear, no money, no, I I don't, I just kept thinking, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to live? What job? And I had to figure all that out. And it was very overwhelming. I remember just like for two weeks, I wouldn't even get out of bed because it was just so overwhelmed. I was like, I don't, I don't have a life. My kids are now living with their dad and they're calling me and they're upset. They want to come back and live with me. And I'm like, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Let me just get a job and it'll all work out. And I had to stay positive for them. And, and as couple of weeks went by. My mom came in and very smartly said, could you go and walk the dog? And I started walking her dog. And I know that sounds okay. Really? <laughs> like That's part of your story. And it is that got me out of bed. I went and I started meeting the people in her neighborhood. They would say things to me like, oh my God, your mom is so lucky that you're here visiting. She must just love having you here. Our kids never come and visit. And then they tell me about their health issues. And every day I'd go and meet them and meet their dogs and listen to their stories. And they were saving my life, really. They were getting me out of my head. And all of a sudden I started getting on the computer, started researching jobs. And I took a lot of interesting jobs until I found my next job, which was in the print procurement business where I landed in New York. And so I was flying my, I was in New York now working for this print company, doing business development, opening up meetings into the entertainment world. Cause that's where my, I had a lot of connections and flying my kids in to visit me in New York. And they were like, please move back to California. And I said, I'm working on it. And then sure enough, my, the CEO of my company, the owner of my company bought a company six miles from where my kids were living. It's just, you can't write this. It's He bought a company in Irvine and I went into his office and I said, could I work out of that office? And he said, well, I really want you in New York, but if you want to pay to move to Irvine, yeah, I'm okay with that. You could work out of that office. Because at this point I was flying back and forth to California because of all the meetings I was setting up. So he wanted me in New York. I paid and moved myself back to California. So now I'm back close to the kids and I'm working out of that office. And when I moved back, I thought I contacted the company that did my life insurance and I had referred them business. And I said, I've referred you a lot of business. I said, can I get a referral fee? Because now I'm getting smart. Now I'm getting like, I'm understanding how things really work. And he's Zebra, go get your license. And I was like, oh, okay. I thought about it. And on the weekends, I started studying to get my life insurance license. And in December of 2010, I took the test. I got my license. And I started working full-time in the industry I'm in now in July of 2011. And... 12, 13, 14, those years, I had some of the best financial years of my life and worked really hard to build my clients' 
my client list. And I think I sold more insurance in 2012 than any year. I was like on a mission. I was like, I'd never want to be broke again. I never want to be in that position where I just don't have money to feed my kids. And it's what I, I put out in the universe. What I manifested was if you, God, if you could just get my kids through school, let me get them through school. Let me get them into college. That's all I asked for really. It was like, if I could just get my kids, have them be comfortable and have them get through school. It's really all, all I wanted to do. And it happened. And then I started thinking this manifesting your life is really powerful. And you really have to really take the time to sit and think about how you really do want your life to be. And I, I started taking that a little bit more seriously because I saw that the things that I had really wished for and had visualized and had thought about were happening. I was back in California. I was back with my kids. I was getting them through school. We were having, we had a comfortable life. And so I started taking it a step further and right. I think it was around 2017. I hit another roadblock, not in my financial world, but in my relationship world. And I thought it's time for me to have a relationship. And so it's so interesting when you're, when you start to visualize or think about things and how you want things to go, all of a sudden those people appear in your life, right? Those teachers, those books. And so I went on a journey on how to manifest laws of attraction. Like all of that became really intriguing to me. And so I went on that journey. And really what I found out is the whole secret to this whole game of life, really, the secret to living is giving. And so the more I'm able to, I, I know you mentioned earlier in the show that I have a school in Peru and I was, I, I went on that trip and I went and looked at the schools that I had been donating to. And I remember saying to the person who runs this fundraising campaign and I looked at him and I said, what if I adopted this school? What if I just adopted it? And he's, you can do that. You can absolutely do that. You can send the money every month. And I just, it made me feel good. It was like, that's the whole point of this is to give back to people who are less fortunate, anybody who's suffering, nobody. That's, that's what this, it's a spiritual game at the end of the day. It's great to make money. It's great to have accolades. I've had many moments of being on top of my game, but the moments that give me the most joy are the moments when I get photos from the kids at the school in Peru. That gives me the most joy or the moment of being able to donate to our rescue and know that my donation literally went to help save a, a girl or a boy that's stuck somewhere in some sex slavery situation. Those are the moments for me where I go, okay, now this is what it's about. This is where, this is now my life has purpose. It's one thing to go out and have a goal. I'm going to make a million dollars. Nowadays, everybody wants to make a billion dollars. <laughs> we've changed. We've changed quite a bit. It's always like uh, the goal of monetary, right? There's always these monetary goals. And I have to say, I had that goal. I was like, I just want to make a million dollars. And then those things happen. And when they happen, that feeling of, ah, yes, 
lasted about five minutes. And I thought, okay, there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here. What is it? And so that's been my journey is what is the real lesson? What is it that that I would want to share? And I think really for me now, it's that I was 40, broke, no money, no kids, no job in sight. And that can happen to anybody. It happened to a lot of people last year. A lot of people went through a transition where they lost their business and they had to start over. And I get that. I've had to do it a few times. And I feel now, holy moly, like I I was so worried about that when I was 40. I'm 57 now and I'm doing it again. But now I'm doing it because I can and I want to. And I'm making it a fun challenge. It doesn't have to be, oh my God, I have to change or do. And I'm not in a I have to situation. I'm in a I want to situation. And there's a really big difference. For so many years, it was like, I have to, oh my God, how am I going to? And I never really had that why until just these last few years. And the why has got to be really powerful, I think, for anybody in business relationship. Once the why, you you can you can't. It's hard to get off purpose because you know why you're doing it. Oh, totally! Quite the story. Just you know, such a resilient journey you've been on. And I'd love to know reinventing yourself again. It sounds is is in your plans. What's next for you? I wrote a book, and it's probably going to the timeline is like nine to twelve months. After you finish writing, it's nine to 12 months to get it out on the shelf. So I'm in that process right now, educating myself on that whole business because I knew nothing about it. I thought you write a book and boom, there it is. It appears and it's not quite the case. There's a whole timeline involved. And then I just launched my website, DebraDriggs.com, and I'm going to be writing a blog once a week on all sorts of different things from fitness, to relationships, to aging gracefully, to financial things in my industry and keep it really, really easy to easy for people to follow. Nothing heavy, just these really tidbit things that I thought about. And sometimes I sit and I journal and I'm like, I should blog this. This is a good one today. And that's when I was like, I'm going to add a blog to my website. So I did that launch this week and I'm really excited to host another show. And I met with an agent yesterday and I said, that's on my list now. I want to host again. So just putting one foot in front of the other, staying positive and still doing life insurance. I'm busier than ever since the pandemic. Last year, we had a very slow year and it's all picking back up now, which is great. So I have a lot of different things going on. Yeah, definitely sound like a busy woman for sure. Yeah. So I'd love to know how has a failure or at least an apparent failure set you up for later success? And do you have a favorite failure? Wow, that's a great question. Wow, a favorite failure. I do think that any type of growth is going to happen during a failure. The growth for me doesn't really happen during success. It happens when I'm in the failure. So I would say my favorite failure. 
my favorite failure, gosh, I might have to say, it's interesting that I would say this, but I think my marriage, I think that was my favorite failure because that is when I really was forced to grow because my marriage brought me to my knees. My marriage ending brought me to my knees. And I thought, I never thought that I would have a failed marriage. And it brought me to my knees and that's when the growth really began. I didn't see it though at the time. So that's why I said, it's interesting that I'm going to say this now because at the time it was not my favorite failure, but yeah, that, that forced me to really grow in a lot of ways. I had to find myself, you know, and I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever would have found myself if I hadn't gotten divorced, which is interesting. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how that can happen. Yeah, that definitely resonates. I know. I know what that's like. So I'd yeah. love to know what are one to three books uh, that have greatly influenced your life. Oh, wow, that's a great question. I love my one of my all time favorites, and people always forget about this book, but I love the Way of the Peaceful Warrior. I love anything Wayne Dyer. I am like a oh, huge. I love. He's I, the best. As, as a matter of fact, when I get into a dark place, or I feel like oh things aren't going right. I just literally put on his book and I'll just listen to it for 30 minutes. And it literally changes my whole focus. It's, I think it's called manifesting your dreams or something or setting your intentions. It's just one of my go-to, go-to books whenever I'm down. Anything Wayne Dyer. I love this book I'm reading right now. It's called You're a Badass. I'm like almost finished with it. You're a Badass. That's the name of it. And then the Wayne Dyer book is called The Power of Intention. Oh, yeah. Love Wayne Dyer. I was turned on to him a few years ago. And then I was actually turned on to, to the work of Dan Millman, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And the first book of his I was introduced to was The Life You Were Born to Live. One of my aunts, I was, I was talking on the phone a few months ago and She's like, when were you born? Let me do your numbers. I'm like, my numbers? What are you? And I thought it was some sort of like traditional numerology thing. She's like, oh no, check out this book. And I picked up Dan Millman's, Dan Millman's book, The Life You're Born to Live. And I'm always very convinced by people who position themselves as skeptics. And the intro to that book really sold me because he was like, hey, I met this random guru. He gave me this system for divining your life's purpose based on when you were born. I have no idea like why that should have anything to do with anything. But after coaching thousands of people through this, all I can say is empirically, it works. It's crazy, but I don't know. And I went and did a little stuff with it. And I was just like, what is this is crazy. But it was like everything just a lot of stuff resonates with me. But this was, uh, yeah, this was pretty next level. Yeah. And I love that. I love those kind. I love all the books on law of attraction and because it's not a one read. You don't read those books once. They're books that you really need to watch or read over and over again, like Louise Hay and can't think of his name right now. But anyway, yeah, they're just, they're, they're, they're kind of in your wheelhouse. And it's once a week, I go to one of those books or uh, videos or audio. And I, it's something I do once a week. I just make sure because it's not ever, you don't read it once and it's there. It's to really access it. You have to, it's repetition of it. It's super interesting, but yeah, I'm really into that. I love, I love books on relationships. I've been really into that and learning because 
that's the one area of my life that I'm really trying to master right now, so to speak. That's I guess you hit different parts of your pie. Okay, my financial world's doing pretty well. My spiritual world's doing pretty well. Okay, let's work on relationships. And I don't know if you've read uh, the other one that just came to my mind is The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. Oh, no. Sounds, I'm all about surrendering, though. So it sounds like uh, something I would dig. <laughs> it, yeah, it's amazing. That book blew my mind. I was like, what? It's, and then there's a great book on relationship called Relationship Goals. And that's another Michael. His name is Michael Todd. And he mentions the Bible quite a bit. So if you're offended by that, you might, this book might not be by you, be for you, but I loved it. And I'm not a Bible thumper or anything, but I loved how he intertwined the Bible into this book. It's so beautifully written. And I love his take on relationships. So yeah, that's a good one. Definitely. If you're struggling in a relationship, Michael Todd, he's, he's interesting. Cool. I have to check those out. Put them up on the show notes as well. Yeah. So if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? It would say, <laughs> oh my gosh, well, it's all over my website. It's all over my social media. So I might as well go with that because I my quote that I say all the time is aging gracefully is a full-time job. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. Yeah. And it, 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 when you really dive into what that means, I have found that to really age gracefully, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of things that go into it. It's not just about how you look on the outside. It's about yoga. It's about healthy eating. It's about mindset. So yeah, aging gracefully is a full-time job. That would be my billboard. Oh, I love it. Great answer. So who have been some of your heroes throughout your life and how did they help or inspire you? Coaches. I've had a lot of great coaches in my life. I grew up figure skating and I had three coaches at one point when I started competing. And those coaches taught me so many life skills, so many lessons, <clears throat> excuse me, that I still use today. When you fall, you get back up. There's no crying in baseball. Those messages. That's how it was when I was growing up. Not everybody got a medal. It's We live in a different world today. You either were the first place, second place, or third place. Not everybody got a ribbon when I was skating. And so you had to work hard. And there, there was literally no crying on the ice. If you wanted to cry, you got off the ice and you went in the bathroom and you had your meltdown. And then you got back on the ice and you maintained a professional attitude. And I learned that as a child, that being on the ice was a gift. And it was, it, that was not the place to throw a fit, cry, throw a tantrum. If you didn't like the way your day was going, you left the ice, you went, had your meltdown and you came back and with a better attitude. And I learned those things. I remember the first time I tried to throw a fit on the ice and my coach literally grabbed me and took me off the ice and said, you will not behave that way on the ice. And those are the things that stick with you. You carry those things into your other areas of life. I carried that into my school life. I carried that into my other athletic life in school. Any Anything that I was doing, 
I learned that if I was going to have a meltdown, I went and did that and then came back to the situation. Now, it doesn't always work. I have been known to have meltdowns, you know, it, but in the back of my mind, I know that's the best way to handle that situation. Yeah, I got a lot of those, my ice skating coaches. And then when I got to college, I had a coach mentor, Betty Shear, that I'll always remember. She was a very well put together, classy um, woman who spoke. She was kind and she didn't know it, but I really looked up to her. <clears throat> and I mentioned her in my book. And then I had acting coaches. I've had agents and managers that were my, that really helped lead my career and people that I innovated with and brainstormed with. And then I have coaches and mentors that I don't know, people that I follow because I'm so inspired, like a person like Jesse Itzler or Richard Branson or Van Jones. I, I know Van, but I follow him and he's somebody that inspires me. And it's interesting because Van and I don't agree on a lot of stuff, but he inspires me because of the, the, the stuff that he's involved in. And then there's people that aren't famous that I'm also inspired by. People who have autism and start a business. I follow people like that because I'm just completely in awe or people that lost a leg and do an Ironman. Those are people that really inspire me. Now, I'm really into watching documentaries. In the last six months, I have watched so many documentaries and I, they inspire me from anything from Taylor Swift to the SeaWorld documentary on how those poor whales were treated. So I get really involved in all of these <laughs> different things because that's where I find inspiration. And yeah, I have a lot of different coaches, a lot of different mentors. I also have peers, meaning I go to, I have people in my industry that I go to for advice. I have friends that I go to for other advice. I wouldn't go to a friend for the advice of insurance. I go to my peers for that. And then it's really good to have the cheerleaders in your life, the people that really cheer you on, that go, God, this is really great what you're doing. Keep doing it. You've got to have at least two or three of those in your life. That no matter what you no matter what you're doing, they're not judging it. They're just cheering you on. It's really important to have that. Oh, absolutely. So I'd love to know, in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? The biggest one is, this is a, definitely a new habit for me, is anytime you are judging somebody else, you cannot help them. And it's really powerful. And when you really sit and think about it, and I am guilty of judging. I used to judge, oh my God, how could that person have 20 tattoos all over their body? The minute I'm sitting in that judge, I'm using that as an example, by the way, because I have a tattoo, so I'm not judging tattoos. But what I'm saying is if you're sitting and you're judging that person, you can't help them in any way. Anyway. And it goes with really everything. If you judge somebody for being divorced, if you judge somebody for being too heavy, if you judge somebody by the way they eat, if you judge somebody by the fact that they smoke, you can't help them. And that was a big lesson for me to learn because I really do want to help people. 
And I can't do that if I'm judging their lifestyle or their relationship or their behavior. doesn't matter what it is. If you're judging it, you cannot help them. Wow, that's so powerful. Definitely, yeah, definitely never thought of it that way before. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that, but yeah, love, love to hear something new like that. That's fantastic. So this has been such a, a wonderful and engaging and enlightening conversation, Deborah, and it brings me to my final question of the day. I'd love to know, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Oh, that's so difficult. I had so many beautiful, kind acts. The kindest thing anybody has ever done for me. Gosh, you know, I could say things like flowers on Mother's Day. The really the kindest thing anybody has ever done for me. Gosh, this is really difficult. That's a hard question, I have to say. You stumped me. Because there's so many, I'm thinking about things like flowers or that phone call that you get, but I think it's the simple kindness. And I think it goes back to my cheerleaders. I think the kindest thing anybody can do is just really support and be there for me. Yeah, nothing better, right? Yeah, it's that's such a gift. Excellent answer. Thank you so much for joining me today, Deborah. It was Thank a pleasure you. getting to speak with you. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my journey and be a part of your show and for offering we're offering this time to me. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us so that others can find it as well. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, LUE Podcast or visit our website at theluepodcast.com. And if you'd like to support this show even further, I'd love to invite you to become a patron of the show. For as little as $5 per month, you can help us continue to produce high-quality shows with amazing guests like you heard today. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash theluepodcast. We look forward to having you tune in next time for the next episode of Law, the Universe, and Everything. I'm Pacifico Soldati, Wishing you peace, love, and awesomeness.